Hey everybody, welcome to Listen Money Matters. There's no use crying over spilled milk, especially when you have your own cow. My name is Matt, and I'm here as always with Andrew. Andrew, how are you, and what are you drinking? Is it milk? <laughs> it is not, but okay. I, like, I like that. I feel it was very fitting. Who the hell has their own cow? Farmers. Uh, I mean, sure, of course, but I mean, in life. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's a good investment. Uh, I want um, my own cow now. I am drinking a very fancy, very, very fancy Goose Island bourbon, the original country brand stout aged in bourbon barrels. Yeah. 2019 edition. Yeah. And I believe this one was left by you in my office. Yep. <laughs> that is it true. Was. This one I gave you. Yes. Mm. Uh, yeah. It is so good. Yes. Bourbon County. Uh, great beers. Excellent beers. Laura's in the office in, in like kind of the other room and mm-hmm. I was like I offered her a sip and I was like this is probably gonna be the, the best beer that you've drank. Um did she did you watch her? Did you watch her drink it? Did you did she I get did. did you get feedback? She she thought it was delicious. I yeah. mean it is. Yeah. And um and she likes stouts and just dark beers as yeah. well. So yeah. I mean I'm also drinking a stout. I've uh if you've heard previous episodes, I'm drinking a breakfast for three. Uh, Imperial Stout brewed with maple syrup and Peruvian coffee made by mm. a collaboration between Microphone, Weldworks, and Great Notion. Oh, and wow. I've been, uh, it's saying, you know, again, we're recording this on, we're, we double up, recording this on St. Mm. Patty's Day. And, uh, you know, stout, it's, it's, it's a stout day for me. <laughs> um, so, Some people only get through one beers. I start with a light IPA, then I go hard, <laughs> hard, hard, hard. Very, very hard. Yeah, that, yeah, that's for sure. So I would I would sip that. For St. Patty's Day. You know, it's crazy. If anyone's a beer nerd out there and you understand how, like, very, very good Bourbon County uh, stouts are. And how, you know, not not cheap they are as well. Andrew is drinking it out of a giant glass stein. Like a giant, like, <laughs> one liter beer mug. So... <laughs> Uh, How am I supposed to drink it? Actually, there's there's a recommendation you, on the bottle. You see this glass? A snifter is yep, how I'm supposed to be drinking That's exactly it. what I'm drinking out of. If I had a funnel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, back in college days, you were funneling Bourbon County stouts <laughs> in, in Palm Springs. As if. Yeah. yeah. Well, today's catchphrase comes from at Edgar Lee Young. Thank you very much for the catchphrase. Do you, Edgar, own your own cow? I'm very curious to hear that. Because I hope so. That would make sense. <laughs> then, yeah, I would never cry over spilled milk. I'm like, yeah, I gotta just go milk the cow again. All right, anyway. Today we're talking about how index funds are taking over and if there's an index fund bubble and how the state of index funds should affect how you invest. So, I, look, I get this question quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, what the hell is an index fund? Mm-hmm. And I'm compare, and I want to compare that to other funds, like a mutual fund. So how are they different? Okay. So simply put, an index fund is an automated way to invest in a predefined set of investments. Uh, for example, the U.S. the total U.S. market, so just kind of like the U.S. stock market, mm-hmm. is what U.S. Uh, Vanguard's total stock market fund invests in, and it winds up being. Uh, over 3,500 companies that are part of this fund. Yeah. You know, and there are other index funds that are more niche. They, like, for example, Vanguard has a technology companies fund, mm-hmm. BGT. 323 companies are a part of it. So there is like a set of criteria that an index fund sets to cover. 
Its investments are automated and you invest in that. So if you invest in the Vanguard Total Stock Market Fund, you own a piece of over 3,500 companies. Can I give what I think is a, a simpler explanation and you tell me if I'm right? Yes, okay. absolutely. All right. Uh, so this is what I usually tell people is mm. comparing index funds to mutual funds. Uh, they're both a bundle of stocks, mm. right? Or a bundle of investments. So it's like, it's like imagine you like getting a bundle and it's for, it's a sale. Cause it's like, you're bundling a lot of things together. Uh, the difference is that an index fund is a bundle of stocks managed by robots mm. and a mutual fund is a bundle of stocks managed by human beings. I think that'd be pretty fair, but not necessarily always true. Mutual funds could be automated. automated. It, it's more of a, a tax mm -hmm. and, and legal situation, mutual fund versus an ETF. Are index funds always lower in fees to own than a mutual fund? Not necessarily. Okay. Um, it, it really depends. Okay. It, go, it goes all across the board. But, but index funds are a new thing because of technology. Right. And so index funds are, I would say, an evolution on mutual funds. Where mm -hmm. mutual funds are first, mm -hmm. um, mutual funds wind up like settling their trades like once a day. Yeah. Um, it's just a very different setup versus an ETF, which is constantly traded and updated. Um, and an ETF stands for just to be just to be very exchange clear. traded fund. Okay, which is what an index fund is. Like yes. Okay. And so, so hmm. just I mean, let's just let's just throw out why. Let's just throw out some pros to and and you know these modern day index funds. Why? Because we they... talk about it all the time. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, you know, it's true. We're like you should invest in these things. Why? Why? Right. Well, first of all, because they're automated. They're super low cost. Mm -hmm. Some of them are super, super, super low cost. Well, this is what I mentioned about the fees before. Yes, right. Because because it's automated. Mm -hmm. So so you're not paying you're not paying some person to trade for you. Right. And so if you were thinking of like Vanguard ETFs, then everything you said would be absolutely right because they are the lowest of the low in terms of cost. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's like some here there. Some companies are doing some weird things, but Vanguard is consistently the lowest cost. Mm -hmm. um, it is super simple. So if you wanted to invest in the U.S. economy, which you know is roughly thirty five hundred and thirty four companies mm -hmm. that you can invest in, or at least what Vanguard's VTI is invested in, that is really complicated to invest in three thousand five hundred thirty four <laughs> companies every single month, dollar yes. cost averaging. You just invest in your single ETF and everything happens behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's managed automatically by computers and robots. Mm -hmm. I, I call computers. I mean, they're all robots to me, right? <laughs> so I, I don't want to, you know, say that all computers are, you know, now you don't know if when they become sentient. Right. Well, well we're all know. watching Westworld. We know how it works. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Right. yeah. I want to respect the computer yeah, respect and the, the robots. Yes. Um, we'll be our overlord soon. So. So it's passive. Mm -hmm. um, on average, as we look kind of past over the years through dips and crazy things and whatever, 7% average market returns. Mm -hmm. Which is excellent. They uh, shouldn't say excellent. It's not excellent. I, I it's, think it's, it's excellent. Yeah, it's good. I always want to do an episode of the average is re like really good or excellent. Yeah. Like yeah. if the average is 7%, like, damn, you're killing it. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, seven percent compounded over thirty years. Hell yeah, hell ridiculous. yeah, ridiculous. Yes, 
great for the long-term investor. You know, and so you think like this is like automated, it's kind of average, it's passive, sounds kind of like dumb, there must be better things, but historically they whip active managed funds and investments just mm -hmm. year over year consistently. Robots so, are smarter. Yeah. <laughs> well, the more... thing is the hedge funds, people make mistakes and yeah. they're doing these weird things. And so they're beating people who are, you know, day trading and stuff like that. Um, Basically, it, it really seems every way you look at it, they're just superior. superior. Yes. Mm. Um, And they've obviously... These are these are new, right? Because we didn't have computers always doing this for us. In Relatively. The past. Relatively. In terms new. of like the time investing has existed. Like a hundred years. Yeah. yeah. You know? So um obviously all these things are great. All of these new companies are popping up as a result of these mm -hmm. being so easy and so you know, technology being where it is today. You have Betterment comes out of the woodwork. We have Wealthfront. We have what? Adding yeah. like intelligence on top of that. On so it's like tax loss harvesting yeah. and, you know, helping you plan based on your investments. And so they have now like we could do these awesome things because the basic pieces are automated and dollar cost averaging. They allow you to do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now like every month I can invest in 3,500 companies proportionally right. based on, you know, my goals, which yeah. is ridiculous, a ridiculous thing to execute where that used to be like people carrying stocks, right. you know, in carts down yeah. the street. And what's you know? crazy too, is like, you think, uh, you know, when, if you wanted to just invest in a, uh, a Vanguard index fund, like just buy into an index fund. It's going to cost you around three to five to ten thousand dollars to just get started in that one fund. But if mm -hmm. you go with something like Betterment and you're doing dollar cost averaging, you are investing in those funds, but you don't have to put all that money in up front. And you just gave one of the examples of the difference between a ETF and a mutual fund. There you go. So the mutual fund has like admiral class, investor mm -hmm. class, so on, where there's um, and and the cost may be lower. As but you get it's higher. a higher amount of money to initially start. But sure. if you just opened a Robinhood account mm -hmm. and invested in Vanguard VTI, you could do it with a dollar or whatever the minimum, yeah. you know, required. Right. So great. We technology is awesome. More and more people mm -hmm. can invest with lower amounts of money. The average person can invest now and it's not as complicated or it's not as crazy mm -hmm. and ETFs make this much easier. And I guess this is where, this is kind of what we're talking about here of, of being the great index fund takeover is because these things are so cool and great. And now they're so easy to invest in. What Everyone's are, doing it. Right. So what, yeah, what I, now we, we mentioned why they're so great, but what is the inevitable outcome of this okay so um over the years mm -hmm. you know index funds become incredibly popular and now index funds are people investing in essentially passively managed etfs and stuff like that the amount of money is greater than the amount of money invested actively and it took a long time you know before I was like I want to buy Tesla so I'm just gonna buy shares of Tesla yep. or I'm gonna pay Matt to choose to put my money in Tesla. Mm -hmm. And and that was how the stock market worked for the yeah. vast, for most of time. And index funds are so awesome and they've grown so quickly that there is now more money in index funds 
managed passively than there is money managed actively. That's how big. Explain. I mean, kind of clarify that if you can. Yeah. So, um, in all these Vanguard ETFs and you know Betterment and stuff like that, uh, it's roughly four point two seven trillion dollars that's invested in that. And then when you look at hedge funds or Goldman Sachs actively trading, okay. it's uh, four point two five trillion. So, mm. index funds are literally winning the the uh, the competition of dollars invested. Got it. Understood. And, um. What has happened is there are three companies that really have wound up being the the, the companies that deliver this to us. Mm-hmm. There's Vanguard that yep. we talk about all the time, yep. and they're awesome. And we can, I mean, we've extolled their virtues enough up until this point. There's BlackRock, and you may know BlackRock if you've invested in iShares. Mm. That's that's their ETF. Portion. The gold stuff. Gold, there's a gold iShares. There's iShares for like virtually everything. Okay. They have they have a major, yeah. I mean BlackRock does other things, but that that's their funds. Okay. And State Street, you know, to a lesser degree, but also still huge. I mean, bigger than Fidelity and a lot of the players. Hmm. Um and as a result, these three companies, and you know, first of all, these three companies, meaning that there is three companies really that manage all of these funds, right? Mm. Um, these funds have become so big that, uh, the average public company, 22% of it is owned by these passive index funds, 22%. And so it's a kind of, or I'm sorry to, to better clarify these three companies, ETFs passively own 22% of these companies. So (laughs) the companies don't own these companies. Yeah. Right. You know, it's, it's my money in Vanguard. Right. That owns it, but your money managed by Vanguard that owns right. it. Yeah. So Vanguard, BlackRock, and State Street, the money managed by them mm-hmm. passively owns 22% of Apple, 22% of Google, 22% of Microsoft. Insert the company that you work for that's public, the thing that you love, whatever. Right. So, uh, so could you argue that basically 22% of Apple is owned by very passive investors? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Like, like us, all of us hmm. that listen to the show, I would, I would imagine. I'm exactly. sure there's some, I'm sure there's some high rollers out there, but yeah, I mean, most of us are probably just your average everyday passive investor, which is great. And for a trillion dollar company, you know, and, and all these companies, many trillions of dollars, it's just a lot. Yeah. And so there uh, has been this kind of like bubbling up or mm-hmm. not to, you know, too much play on words that there is an index fund bubble as a result of all of this. And okay. so originally we were going to do an episode on the index fund bubble but being that we're post coronavirus mm-hmm. and whatever and i and because truth be told there isn't an index fund bubble um i i want to yeah i was going to say are all bubbles really bad so so bubbles are bad okay. because it it um it means uh, it's about to it pop. imputes like uh an improper valuation that you're paying too much that the things you're doing are wrong and it's going to kind of pop and even out. And okay. so what I want to do is explain why index funds are not a bubble, hmm. you know, and why, and really just why it's actually an incredible unfair advantage. So where yeah, if you I, were investing on your own, 
you know, you would not be doing as well as if you were investing in an index funds. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned the word bubble and I immediately think in my head, it, I don't think this is about, this doesn't feel like a bubble to me. This feels like it feels good. Well, let me explain why. Okay. Um, people say it's a bubble. Okay. And, and, I, and I think it makes a ton of sense, honestly. Okay. So you, Matt, you dollar cost average yes. every month, mm -hmm. right? And your stuff, your, your money, however much goes into a bunch of ETFs blindly. Yes. Not You're not like choosing to invest in these things. It almost doesn't matter the timing. And because that this actually exists, you are investing where you might not have even been investing otherwise. You it might have been so complicated, you wouldn't have been doing it. You want to hear a weird, funny story? Yeah. Um, so my it, this is a long story. I'm not going to go all into the details. But basically, my parents are dealing with an accountant who's never heard of Betterment or robo-advisors. Oh my god! And they and they printed out all sixty pages of all of the the investments that have gone through in the past year, and so this guy is looking at all of these individual stocks. Like, how the hell are you doing this? <laughs> so, and he's like, uh, and he, I'm like, how do you? How are you an accountant and not know that these are a thing now and they're a very popular thing? It's not like they're not some underground. They're thing. managing a massive amount of money, yeah. betterment at this point. Right? Yeah. It's like, uh, come on. I mean, they're not the only they're not the only players in town. So I just thought it was funny to see like when you really do print out every single trade that has happened in your in your betterment account. It's it's impressively ridiculous because of how they're doing all these trades behind the scenes to yes. optimize your stuff automatically. And you can print them all out, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> Which actually I think that would be fascinating to see. I'm yeah. sure it's like in. Insane. But anyway, so basically, Matt, by you investing monthly automatically or, or your parents or anyone, it's kind of this like blind money pylon. I'm not deciding that Apple is a good investment because Ooh. of their price. Um, I actually don't even care. I'm just going to keep buying, buying, buying. Does not matter. And so all this money that might not have been piling into these companies before is and more money in these stocks drives the price up and makes them more expensive, perhaps when they don't, uh, when they shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so that's one reason for an index fund bubble. And I think that makes a lot of sense. There's it's literally representative representative of half of all investments. And if it's blind and passive, you know, perhaps dumb as well. Right. Right. And then the other piece is, the whole point of trading in the stock market and, you know, just even any market, the, the used car market is that buyers and sellers determine the value is the appropriate price. Right. So I, yep. if you have a Honda Civic with no tires, no axles, no, you know, hood and it's on fire, the value is probably zero. Right? Are you talking about a uh, Honda Civic convertible with flames painting on the side? Because that <laughs> yeah, sounds very awesome. That's pretty sweet. A convertible, <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, and so what happens is like when you're actively choosing to buy this Honda Civic or not, you're like, yo, you as Honda a human Civic, being, by the way. Yes, right. you're like it's on fire. I'm obviously not buying this. Right. It, that's ridiculous. It's worth nothing. However, when you invest in an index fund, it is it has an automatic automatic set of parameters that it's investing mm -hmm. in. And so it does not care if the car is on fire or the company is on fire. Right. It's investing in it. And so yeah. it's destroying price discovery or just pricing in general. 
That's interesting. So it, it doesn't care if Apple came out with a new iPhone and you understood Apple and the whole thing and you were a big fanboy and you wanted to invest in Apple. It doesn't care about that. Correct. And right. if Apple in, you know, the S&P 500, which is huge for them, mm-hmm. decided that, uh, you know, we're just not going to do the iPhone anymore. We decided to stop. It's, you know, it's half yeah. our revenue, whatever. We're stopping. The robots All are the not index know funds yeah. are still investing in them, even though the future is far more bleak. Okay. And so, you know. So it takes out the human element in valuing businesses. Correct. Hmm. I can see that being a problem. And so there's a few reasons why this is not a problem in terms of, you know, the blind money pylon and, and price discovery. Okay. And so we're going to talk about that and we're going to take a break and I'm going to tell you all the reasons why index funds are giving you an unfair advantage. Cool. All right. Well, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Okay. So tell me why this is not a bubble. Why index funds okay. are not a bubble. So first... In terms of price discovery, mm-hmm. which is how you know prices are set, um, it turns out that ninety-five percent of all index fund trades don't even touch the stock market. Uh, what? Yeah, they don't even go into the stock market. They all happen in a secondary market. So, Matt, you are buying VTI, yeah, because you owe because you want to own it, and me, Andrew, I own VTI, and I'm deciding to sell it. And so what Vanguard is doing is that they're matching us together behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And so it never actually gets traded on the stock market because they're just giving the share. They're pushing and pulling the shares. Right. They're just trading with people. Yeah, exactly. Amongst their customer base. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is because it never hits the stock market, it actually doesn't affect pricing. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So and that's 95 percent of index fund trades happen on the secondary market. So it's so passive and the market is so big, it literally has no effect on price. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. But that said, um, prices uh, are determined. So prices are being determined by active investors, right? Yep. And uh, the thing is, it doesn't matter how many, like, so to use the car analogy, because I, I, I'm so not knowledgeable about, about cars. Yeah. I have to just some, for some reason. Sure, mm-hmm. I need people to email me angrily. Just as it's <laughs> a personal thing. <laughs> I love the hate mail. There you go. Um, the thing is, it doesn't matter how many Honda Civics are for sale. Even if there's only one Honda Civic that exists and it's for sale, if nobody wants to buy it, sure, then the price of Honda Civics is zero dollars. Nothing. Yeah. Right. Right. And so, so how does this relate? I mean, so how does this relate to the price discovery issue? Because that's that's the thing. Like, if it is, if everything is being traded on the secondary market, but there's nobody to sell it to on the secondary market, then it is worth zero. So that does it is. And at the end of the day, we as a group, as a group of customers at Vanguard, are determining the price of something. Because if no one in the entire customer base of Vanguard wants to buy something, it is worth nothing. And therefore, that stock will drop. Right. So it's not, it's not, it's like more of a hive mind rather than an individual active investor mind. 
and what what really winds up happening is the active investors, you know, which is really not these ETFs, are deciding these prices. Yeah, because you know, if Tesla was worth nothing, yeah, or the, the or all of Vanguard's customer base is deciding the price. Right, right. Because if no one within the customer base wants to buy stock in Tesla, they're not going to be able to sell it, and they're going to put it back on the market, and it's going to be valued very low. Mm. Right. Correct. Okay. Um, and the the blind money pylon, yeah, it's putting a lot of money into the market that wasn't there before. Right. And so what is happening is it's it's definitely reducing the like return that we would get over time because mm -hmm. prices are going up, but it's not specific to any one company, and it's just a factor of more money being in the market. Circulating, and so yeah. You, Matt, even though you're invested in Vanguard's VTI fund, you can decide to just kind of pull your money out because you feel like, I don't know, the coronavirus is too risky for you. And so you take your money out, mm -hmm. um, which then reduces the money in the market. So while you're not choosing specific companies per se, yeah, um, you're still voting market or otherwise. Right. And that's the so so that you still have voting power, even if you're trading index funds. In terms of, uh, yeah, like what your money is put into. Okay. So index funds, you know, this whole index fund takeover, it is not a bubble. Agreed. Okay. A ridiculous thing. If anything, it's more like clickbaity. Yeah, um, there you go. You investing in, in the stock market is a net good for your wallet, and it's not de destroying like price <sighs> discovery or like right. inflating everyone's things yeah is that just you think that's just like bitter active investors <laughs> maybe okay yeah i mean you have to be afraid of something right sure i guess the good thing is that now we could all be afraid of the coronavirus we could forget about you know whatever but you know it's kind of like uh you know it's it's kind of like craft beer you know now that every you know when you were when you were in this when you were drinking craft beer it was really cool it was underground but now everyone's drinking craft beer and you're like come on <laughs> i'm going back to bud that's um, it yeah, i want to drink I, something that's Terrible. And that's exactly what they've done. Yes, this is <laughs> yeah. all right. So maybe similar, but whatever. Weird analogy. But okay, we've talked about why mm -hmm. um, it's not a bubble, you know, and there's many reasons why it's awesome. Um, there's actually three specific reasons why I believe it actually gives you as an investor an unfair advantage. Okay. And so one, um, there's just this economies of scale. And what happens is as you put more money into Vanguard. So mm -hmm. I think when we started the show, I believe the Vanguard's total stock market fund fee was 0.05%. I thought it was, I was going to say 0.04%. And it was for ah. a long time. And now it's 0.03%. Ooh, it went down. Yeah. And so what happens is like, as there just becomes so much money investing in these funds, 0.04% of everyone's money is actually too much money for <laughs> Vanguard to manage this because Vanguard is owned by its investors, mm -hmm. which is why it's uh, it's always driving it price down. And so when it, it, does, it doesn't need that much money to run it. And so because it's become so popular, it's actually become even cheaper, yeah. making it that much harder to compete with. And so it really just becomes impossible to compete with. You can't start an ETF to compete with Vanguard because yeah. they already have they the lowest have, fees. Yeah. And, and literally, uh, you know, when 
they have trillions of dollars invested across all these things. Like you just can't compete. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, and so uh, there are many reasons why you know economies of scale are helping you, but but most importantly, cost, and that is just how much you get to keep compounded year over year into retirement. Right. Um. Now, now there's another one. Um, I'm gonna kind of do them out of order, but yeah. uh, it's it's voting power. And so, Matt, you own stuff in Betterment. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you own outside of Betterment. I ETFs. own iShare Gold, and I own one Tesla stock, and I own okay. some uh weird small like health uh tech tech biotech stock. How many times have you voted? Never <laughs> for anything. Oh, okay. So same. I maybe voted once on Apple when I first owned it. Yeah, I, I get those like, emails. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't you do could it. Vote you could on vote on things that happen, mm -hmm. but you don't. And so what happens is because you're not voting, Vanguard or BlackRock or you know whomever, they could cast votes um, in, you know. On your behalf, you. really. On, on your behalf, Yes. And so their their objective is to do it in your best interest because mm -hmm. their interests are aligned with yours. So right. It's not like they're going to vote. Oh, let me destroy <laughs> the people who are you know right because they in want their three percent or zero point three percent. Yeah, yeah. They they want so if they're investing in Apple, they want Apple to do extremely well mm -hmm. and make a lot of money because it's in the best interest of them and everyone, whatever. And so it winds up happening is when you invest in these funds is you are part of this 22%. Wow. And you may... What? I mean, I, it's, I'm, I'm already... I'm ahead of you, yeah. Yeah, like right. you're understanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where if Vanguard was like, hey, we're only going to invest in companies that uh, take social responsibility in the things that they do and mm -hmm. they try and um, do green things. Like we're not going to you know, invest in oil or you have to you know, be sustainable. They could use their massive voting power to compel these companies to do these things. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, or in almost every way, it is not only in the best interest of your wallet, the, the ways that these companies are voting, but in the best interest of society. Because um, that what happens is uh, BlackRock, for example, had mm -hmm. a lot of investments in oil and coal and stuff like that. And there was a backlash and they changed the way they they're voting so that it aligns with green initiatives. I was going to say, can we trust these larger companies like Vanguard, State Street and BlackRock to make these decisions? But if they have all these customers who are forcing their hand, then yeah. Right. Well, it's a dual edged sword. OK. And so I have like these two quotes okay. that, I, that I think are like really interesting. So um, one kind of to that point. Uh, Al Gore said, I quote, I think the large passive managers have a real, dis real difficult decision to make. Do they want to continue to finance the destruction of human civilization or, or not. not? Yeah. Right. And so hopefully, you know, not. And, and in many not. ways, they've decided not. And the other one cool. is uh, Charlie Munger. You know, mm -hmm. it's Warren Buffett's partner. Mm -hmm. And he said the voting power of the index funds is a sleeping giant. <laughs> yeah. If. If the giant wakes up, we don't know what's going to happen. And so while it's hmm. a super competitive advantage that we can kind of compel companies to do the things that are right, they could always Turn decide the other otherwise. Way.
But then so, again, if they do, a lot of in their investors could pull out. Exactly. Which, they, so, which would be against their best interest. So incentives aligned, it almost enforces, whereas you would never vote and then your vote would never count. You know, by going through someone like Vanguard, your vote will count in what is likely in your best interest. Right. Okay. Which, I mean, my best interest is money when it comes to Vanguard, but my personal best interest is, you know, societal, which may not be Vanguard's. We may not share the same thing. But if enough people are like me who are customers of Vanguard all feel the same way that I do, or at least a majority of us feel the same way that I do, we can convince a company like Vanguard to push that way because they don't obviously want to lose customers. Exactly. Right. Okay. And what else? You said there was three things. And so the final one uh, is, is, again, also a dual-edged sword. But if you are well-invested, you'll benefit more than perhaps pay in terms of price. Okay. And that is uh, common ownership. And so what happens is if you invest in Vanguard's total stock market funds, you're invested in Coca-Cola mm -hmm. and you're also invested in Pepsi. You're invested oh, in man. Delta. You're invested in American Airlines. You're, you're, you're invested across everything. Yeah. And, you know, one argument is that it uh, disincentivizes price competition. So, like, why would Coke and Pepsi compete? Because they're the same all... investors. Yeah. Right. I mean, truth be told, I believe that the companies will compete because companies will compete. Sure. One company just wants to win. Yeah. But uh, there was a study and it turns out that as a result of kind of this common ownership and uh, the lack of, you know, as a result of this common ownership, um, airline ticket prices were three to seven percent higher because they were owned by these big funds. And so it is possible. Wow that the reduction in competition or pushing from investors drives prices up. So as a consumer, you may pay more yeah. for flying. But uh, if you if you have far more invested than you are flying, you stand to benefit. Hmm. Okay. So, I mean, look, it sounds like we've not made a case for why index funds suck. <laughs> Right. I think they're awesome. Yeah. I think that they are the best thing that you could put your money in. And we don't think there's a bubble, even though there are you may be reading articles out there that say that this is a bubble. Mm. Now, do you do you think index funds have any sort of negative impact during a recession? Because we I don't know. If, I mean, we've definitely had index funds during a recession. But do you mm. think that all of these people passively managing their money is going to have any sort of long-term or even short-term effect if we end up going into a correction or a recession. I just got an alert from M1 Finance mm -hmm. that uh, my investment was about to happen, mm -hmm. which excites me because as of recording this moment, the stock market is down 30%. Like they, they, you mean they emailed you saying like, you're about to buy X of, of whatever. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Like the, the money is about to be withdrawn from your account. Yep. And so the value in kind of like automating these things is, you know, at, at the ultimate peak you're buying, at the ultimate bottom you're buying. Mm -hmm. um, it's really not affecting price discovery because most of these trades are not happening on the open market. Right. They're happening Private, behind the like, scenes, yep, yep. like within Vanguard. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I don't think that it will have a material effect on, you know, the recession or how pricing happens there, but uh, it makes it, super easy for you to participate yep and that's the and i think that's the biggest thing too like we, there is a net positive of more money in the stock market mm -hmm. and more people investing and i think uh 
you know, I, I'm so glad that I did it, you know, all those years ago and started. I was never an investor before that. To me, investing in individual stocks seemed like a very sexy thing to do. And then as soon as I, it's invested, what everyone does. Yeah. And then as soon as I invested in the serious satellite radio before Howard Stern moved over, mm -hmm. I learned my lesson that that is not that sexy. It's really, it's really like not great. But then all these robo advisors came out and I realized like, wow, it's, it's sort of like I could, even a dummy like me could invest in the stock market mm. and not. And, and when I found out about dollar cost averaging, we did all those episodes on it. It's like, that makes so much sense. Wow. And that's the thing, even during all of the stuff that we're going through, you know, whenever you're listening to this, like there's ups and downs in the market. And that is why dollar cost averaging works is because there's ups and downs in the market. It wouldn't work if we were always going up. It wouldn't make any sense. Yeah. It, just be the, it wouldn't be called dollar cost averaging. It makes <laughs> sense when like, hey, sometimes when you buy, the market's low. And those stocks are going to do, or those funds, or those stocks in those funds will do well. And, and when you buy high, they will do well too, but maybe not as well. And so overall, you're kind of averaging your risk over however many years. And the idea of that we talk about in the show about long-term investing this is what makes sense. And thank God for technology because mm. we can we can take advantage of this. And 7% returns, like you said in the beginning, that's pretty awesome. Incredible. So, I mean, there you go. Um, is there anything else you think we should talk about before we wrap up when it comes to index funds? That's all I got. All right. Well, good. Because if you missed anything, we'll have everything in the show notes. Don't you, I'm pointing at you mm. from, from, from uh, the audio land, don't you worry. Either check your preferred podcast app or visit listenmoneymatters.com slash show. And please subscribe wherever you normally listen to podcasts. And please tell your friends about us. Uh, point them to your favorite episodes, and hopefully they'll become a subscriber as well. And if you have any questions or topics that you want us to talk about on future episodes of this show, please email us, listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. All the tools and resources that we normally mention on this show are available at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. That's it. Later, Andrew. Later, man. Please tell your friends about this show. <laughs>